Welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. This second series of the podcast is presented under the banner of COVID Connections, and I will be chatting with several of the fabulous people with whom my path has crossed over these challenging past 12 months. My guest today is Sophie Hadaway, an individual who finds energy in engaging with people to connect with ourselves, each other, and our surroundings. Sophie cares deeply about the way that children learn, seeking to nurture their curiosity and natural propensity to explore, question, and collaborate. She's also passionate about ideas, connection, and our messy humanity. Welcome to this edition of the Coffee and Conversation podcast. Uh, my guest today is Sophie, um, who is currently residing in somewhere in Keradigion. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you, Jane. It's lovely to be here with you. It's actually sunny in Keradigion, which is um, not always the way. No, and um, yeah, it's a little bit grey and has been drizzly, um, but it's the afternoon and I uh, have got sort of the remains of a black coffee. Um, so it genuinely is a coffee and conversation conversation today, which yeah. is always a good start. And me too. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so yeah, so Sophie and I have never met in person and yet um, through the last 12 months we've connected through various online sessions and weirdly have found that we've got a real um, geographical connection in that Sophie, where Sophie lives now is where um, my grand, really near where my grandma was from, um, a little village called Llanon. So it is bizarre that we may never have met had it not been for lockdown and yet we found like a real connection. I'm sure we wouldn't have met Jane. I absolutely am sure, but I very much hope that when you next come to Caribbean, um, we can meet properly in person. And also, I can show you some of the beautiful beaches along that stretch of coast, which is only you know maybe three or four miles down the road. I can't wait. I can't wait to be able to travel from Scotland and yeah, venture back down to. Yeah, it's a beautiful plan on and beyond. Um, so as ever, we will start uh, the Coffee and Conversation podcast um, by inviting you to share. Now, I believe you've brought three quotes today, so we've got an extra treat. Um, so yeah, if, if you'd like to share your quotes with us and give a bit of an insight into why you've chosen them. Thank you, Jane. It was very difficult to narrow it down, and um, I'm sorry I didn't manage to narrow it down to one. Um, the first two are, are sort of related um, and then the third one is my main quote. But the first one is this, and I can't find its origin, but it's, uh, the, it goes along the lines of, you can fill the whole sky with your wants, but your needs you could fit into a bucket to carry by your side. And to me, that it, it talks about how we've been convinced that we, we, um, we want all these things. It, uh, our sort of drive for consumerism can dominate our lives. And yet, actually, what we need is often very simple. Our health, our family, our loved ones, safety. And then my second one is, is a very short quote. It is that if you have good fortune, build a longer table, not a higher wall. And for me, this is, um, again, it's always stuck with me. Because I, I think in, in society, we, um, we suffer greatly across the world and in this country from A, disparity of wealth, and B, a lack of generosity and a lack of compassion, really. And that, um, that those things would, would make the world a, a better place and a happier place. But my final quote 
um, is by the Egyptian writer Naguib Mahfouz, and, and it goes like this. You can tell whether a man is clever by his answers, but you can tell whether a man is wise by his questions. Wow, great quotes. Um, and I'm sure that we'll touch on some of those a little bit more. Um, but tell me more about that last one. So tell me more about the questions and answers thing, because I'm really curious about that. Well, for me, I, I think it's a fascinating quote. It's a brilliant quote, because I think you can open a question up, uh, open a conversation up with a question, and you can close a conversation down with an answer. And that actually questions invite thought and they invite engagement and participation from those in the conversation. Um, a good question leads on to other questions and, and a question acknowledges that there may be several answers, there may be many answers and that there may be a variety of individual truths. Um, I just feel that a good question is a beautiful thing, that the permission to be granted to ask questions, to invite questions, to be curious, to be interested. I think the trouble is that many people feel that they sound knowledgeable and powerful and impressive by having, quote, the answers, but actually questions invite us all to find the solutions together. And John, what really strikes me about, you know, what you're talking there is this idea that, you know, there's lots of truths mm. and often we get kind of in our search for, you know, what is true or will what's the actual answer? We're kind of cutting ourselves off to possibilities mm. sometimes. Mm. So it's kind of, you know, I don't know, one plus one equals two. Um, so it's tunnel vision almost without, you know, accepting that maybe different people see things in different ways, mm. which feels quite, that feels quite sort of, that's, that, that's what really strikes me about that idea and, and the quote and, you know, what you've just talked about there. Um, I agree. I agree very much. And I am, I'm just also very interested in sort of the democracy of language and making sure, you know, that everyone feels that they can contribute and, and that their voices can be heard. And that, you know, I do think people try to dismiss other people's thoughts or questions by having a dominant answer. So it is, it's a I, I do love a good question. And I think to be able to encourage children to question is a really key um, and important aspect of education and function of education. And I think that's, you know, that's definitely something that um, I picked up on, I suppose, through our conversations, but some of the broader conversations that we've been involved in is how um, actually often we forget to ask other people what they think or what their views are or even how they're feeling or how they experience something yeah. um and i don't know whether it's because we're kind of ingrained into that way um but certainly being able to uh, adopt that approach and encourage young people to ask questions and be curious yeah. um i think that feels quite important and i agree and i think that children are are sort of almost born inherently curious and interested and predisposed to to learn and actually by telling them that there's sort of only one answer or um, by steering them down a very narrow path just can inhibit their learning mm. greatly. But I also, um, yeah, I just feel that as though a good conversation will allow people to question and to, um, to let their 
you know, let their brains be engaged in what they're trying to find out and not have passive brains. Yeah, I've, it just this has just sprung, sprung to mind, and I can't remember what book I read this in or what YouTube video I watched. But there's this piece that says, um, if you go into a classroom of six-year-olds, five-year-olds, and ask them um, what's the gestation period of an elephant, every single hand generally will go up, even though they haven't got a clue. Every single hand will go up because they want to answer, they want to have a go. But if you go into every class, like the the higher up years you go into, the fewer hands will go up almost because the people, you know, the young, they're, they're afraid to, you know, it's, well, what is the answer? And there's a fear around giving the wrong answer. Um, so, yeah, it's re- how, how do we keep that sense of willingness and interest? And curiosity as well. And that's, you know, exploration and curiosity. And I think that is just an absolute joy of watching children learn and, um, you know, watching my own children learn, but actually being out and about in classrooms and, and when I worked as a teacher. I think um, creativity as well feels like it's quite important in in developing curiosity and, you know, being able and allowed to express yourself in different ways rather than necessarily feeling that there's one way to do something. And I just wonder how that, you know, in terms of your own education experience and your art, you know, your creativity you know, side, how that may be how you see that or how that's been brought to life for you? That's a good question. I think, I mean, I grew up in quite a a sort of creative home. There was, um, you know, and I grew up very much in the outdoors as well. And so I had, it was quite in a way an alternative home in the sense that we didn't have a TV. It was that sort of self-sufficient 70s time. And, um, I spent a lot of time playing outside and inventing games and um, we had a workshop at home, but I I then um, went on to um, art college after school and then loved that. But but actually also when I finished, I became, I trained to be a teacher. I, I did a, a one-year PGCE, not necessarily for the best reasons, partly because I thought it was a, a sort of sensible, stable way to support myself. My mother had always said, you have to be able to stand on your own two feet. <laughs> and um, But actually, I found when I started teaching that I did, I really loved teaching and I really loved working with children. And, and just maybe I didn't love the staff rooms and the planning, but I loved um, their inquiring minds and the way they search for answers and they're very interested in um, it's difficult to describe, but they, as you say, they they they're willing to explore and they're willing to to think for themselves and to offer their own ideas. Um, and that does seem to dwindle as you reach adulthood. But also, um, absolutely, for me, creativity is about not just the act of um, producing works of art or. Um, making but it's actually much more about the way you look at the world and the way you you question and the way you um, explore and the way you will look at things differently um, make lateral connections or unseen connections Um, you know and to use your imagination and be able to imagine something that doesn't exist necessarily or isn't immediately apparent so um, to be able to be you know, willing to not have the answers, be 
be uncertain about what an outcome is, but enjoy the exploration as well. So, yeah, creativity has, has sort of always been there in terms of the my my sort of curiosity about the world, and is especially relevant now to my work. And I think you know you just talked about there about um, the notions of uncertainty and almost our desire to have answers so it feels certain and that feels quite a tension often um particularly as we get a bit older maybe or you know go from being a a child to an adult and almost there's an expectation around that well you must know the answer because you know you know you're in that position of perceived power or authority so actually you should know the answer why don't you know the answer and almost it's that, um, and we've talked about it before in terms of the idea of vulnerability, but actually to be able, as whether it's a teacher in front of a class or, you know, in my sort of the work I do as a facilitator in front of a group, actually, you know, to be okay with that uncertainty, you go, well, I'm not, I don't know. And not say, well, I don't know, I've got no idea. Almost mm. that, I'm not sure, well, why don't we explore it? What could it be? How could this work? And be able to you know, open up those and maybe, you know, just draws me back to your last know your your quote about the the answers and questions in you know it almost we we need to be more comfortable with that uncertainty and Mm -hmm. not feel pressured to always necessarily have the the answer because often there is no one answer it could be a lot of things and that's true and in fact um exploration is a very important theme really in my work but also i'm I, I don't know whether it's foolishly, but I'm doing an MPhil in my own time, um, looking at actually the way that creative practitioners talk with pupils in the classroom. And that stems from just noticing that they talk to pupils differently on the whole to teachers and that teachers do, and it's natural that they do so, but they often feel that they're trying to teach um, towards a set endpoint that they they are trying to teach towards certain answers really and um you know they're covering set topics but they're very much um almost informing pupils whereas when you see creative practitioners working in the classroom be them from all sorts of different disciplines you what i've noticed is that often what they're what they're um, the way that they engage with pupils is that it's an exploration. It's a process of exploration. And um, that that invitation to explore is really inviting and that um, pupils love to explore. And, and then also teachers join in that exploration as well. And often the pupils will find out more by a process of exploration than they may have by a process of being guided towards very set answers or outcomes. So exploration is, I think, um, one of the most important things we do as human beings. Mm. I've got this image in my head as I'm listening to you of kind of um, either somebody out front, like leading and saying, I know the way, follow me, or, you know, in the front, maybe the analogy would be standing in front of a classroom or standing in front of a group of, you know, whether it's adult education or whatever it might be. Um, as kind of almost the perceived well this is how we do teaching but almost that idea of two people side by side kind of looking out onto something not knowing what it could be and then supporting each other and maybe that means that maybe that means some point 
you know if you're going on an adventure like I'm thinking climbing or something you know some person one person will lead occasionally but then the other person might go and lead another pitch or you know say I'll go in front of this or let's you know so it that yeah the analogy of exploration it's opened up that's the picture that's in my mind at the moment and I think it is you know and I like that also that notion that it doesn't always have to be the same person um sort of at the front of the exploration that it's a collective process and as you say one person can lead for some of the time and then someone else can um lead because they're particularly familiar with that terrain or they are particularly interested in that terrain so um yeah it's a I like your picture of a physical landscape yeah maybe it's the outdoors in the outdoor lover in me as kind of yeah and you talked earlier about spending a lot of time outdoors it's kind of that idea of you know looking out onto a big landscape and kind of going well I sort of know where I want to go um but you have to pick your way through or just and sometimes it's just oh that looks interesting let's go and explore over there you've also reminded me of actually wild geese flying and how um when wild geese fly you do have someone at the front and not someone a goose at the front and Actually, when they honk at each other, it's to encourage each other, apparently. Um, oh, wow. That's cool. Quite cool. But then that lead goose will, after that, when they get tired, they'll drop back and another one will take the front um, place. So I also think if, if learning is a process of exploration, which I believe it is, I also think it doesn't put all the responsibility and all the pressure on that one person. I think it's... Um, because it's a collective process. A, it's more engaging and inviting than just being told what you should learn, but also it, you know, it's more fun for everyone, including the teacher. And it's more, it's much more of a shared um, endeavor. Definitely. Uh, so this is going off on a total tangent, but it's just made me think of, um, there's a series on S4C at the moment of um, celebrities learning Welsh. Okay. And that's another connect. Like, so yeah, I'm I'm doing my best to learn learn some Welsh, but I'm learning useful phrases at the moment. Like, um, I like watching dolphins. I don't like sharks. <laughs> so that's been my week. Um, but the type there was, um, I saw this tweet, and I remember, and it was every day's a learning day. Now this is going to test me, but it was something like my pop do do and then um, it's a learning day. So. Something anyway, there you go. That's my really poor Welsh. But every day's a learning day. Go on, give me give it give me how it should sound. That, that wasn't bad. It's, <laughs> um, it's my I would say my pub Durnod and Durnod Dusky. That that's it. That was what the phrase was. Um but yeah, it, it and it, I think that idea that we've all got the moment you stop learning is the moment you stop growing. Yeah. So actually, if we can recreate that wherever we are, that we're learning together. And yeah, you know, there will be times when, you know, one of us knows more than another. Um, but if we can collectively come together and find those really good questions, yeah. then that helps us all develop new ways of looking at things or new ways of thinking. And I agree. And actually, I think I, I very much feel that learning is a joy and that we learn throughout our lives and um, we should learn almost until the day we die and um, and learning you can think you know something and then just reflect on it differently or see another perspective to it or um, 
you know, or just find something else that fascinates you or sparks your curiosity or that you have to learn about suddenly, because we've had to learn many things in the last year. But I do, I just think that, you know, learning is such a good thing. And as human beings, we are very good at it if we let ourselves be. And if we encourage, you know, I think children are naturally good at learning from a very young age and actually it should be our job um, to to let that desire to learn grow not be stifled and actually that that um leads me to kind of think about something you said earlier around like teachers and creative practitioners and listening to their language and Mm -hmm. how do we and one of the things that i'm sort of really interested in i suppose is that um, looking at like for want of a better word systems as a whole and often we focus on the end point so if I give a sporting analogy it would be you know the focus is on how do we create more people participating more often more regularly and engage them and then the next focus will be on okay well how do we educate the coaches and then it'll be okay well how do we educate the people who educate the coaches who then support those but almost kind of feels a bit the system feels the wrong way around because actually we need to focus on the people at the top making decisions almost or the people who have the perceived power to make those decisions because if Mm. we need them to be thinking creatively and you know saying that there's more than one possibility and looking beyond the obvious to really create that culture throughout because almost you hit a blocking point potentially in a school you might have got the young people who are really curious the Mm. teacher who kind of really wants to be but perhaps they're working in a culture that Mm. says well you've got a it's exam focus you've got to attain these things and so it's how do we it's a question it's a question I I don't have answers necessarily answers to but how do we really support um people at that um you know front of engaging with young people how do we support them to be creative feel that it's okay to take these new approaches or maybe they're not new approaches in some case but just have confidence that it's okay to do those things and explore rather than teach yeah and it's it's such a good point and it's such an important point and actually I feel that you know all sorts of um programs like the one I'm involved with but um you know these across the world there's often almost, um, as you were talking with your sporting analogy, there is almost a focus on the runners or the pupils um, or the um, the finishing line. But actually, you know, if you, I, I, and this is something I've come to realise more and more strongly through the course of the last five, six years, is that if you want um, pupils or young people or learners to be um, curious and inquisitive and brave and um interested and exploratory and and creative in their approach to their learning and and to the world that actually it's absolutely fundamental that teachers um adopt that way of being as well that teachers need to be curious and dare to try something different and to give themselves permission. I think that's one of the most important things that um, I've learned over the last five years as well is the, the need to give yourself, but for teachers to give themselves permission to try something different, to, to try a new approach, to, to not be fearful of something failing. We, we talk about wanting pupils not to be, to, you know, young people not to be scared of failure, but actually 
grown-ups that teachers need to um, be brave and not be scared of trying something that they don't know for sure will work. And in terms of leaders, I think that A, leaders themselves have to be um, open to learning and open to not having all the answers, but also they have to, their, I think their role as well is to create a climate where people feel that they have um, the permission to try and to explore and to try um, something different, something new, and to reflect on it. Um, so I do think that those, those in charge, those leaders need to not only create a climate where that permission is granted and is, is there and available, but they also need to create time and space and that's something precious that isn't afforded to many people, especially in a profession like teaching, which is so um, sort of frantic and and headlong and and fast paced. Yeah, it's that sort of you know the, almost trying to remove some of that pressure in a way, in one sense, mm-hmm. to free up, which feels quite a big step to start with, mm-hmm. because you almost it is taking that step into the unknown, going well, what we don't know what's going to happen. But um, equally, it could be anything. And I, it, again, <laughs> my mind goes off at tangents sometimes, but it makes me think of um, a book that I've been reading called The Art of Creative Thinking. Um, and it talks about, um, there's a, there's one, the chapters are really small. They're like two or three pages and it's not designed to be read from start to finish. You know, you're supposed to dip in and dip out and jump around. But it, there's a chapter in there that, that basically says, what if we didn't have goals? And it, it, I, it sort of says, you know, if you set yourself a goal, on one hand, it's motivating and you're moving towards it. But what if it means you ignore other opportunities along the way? Because you're so focused on achieving one thing, maybe attainment or grades or, you know, that next promotion or whatever it might be. Maybe that blinds you sometimes to the what ifs and the sort of little, again, I'm thinking outdoors, you know, you're on that one path, but maybe there's a really interesting path that you bypass because you're like, no, no, no I've got to get to that destination. So, you know, there's something around that in that uncertainty. We don't, yeah, we don't know what could be no, if we don't if, try. If we don't try, absolutely. And also I feel that um, something that I say again and again on, on training courses, and, and I and I say this from first-hand experience, is that um, people often think it's it's a matter of either you can either you can reach a high attainment or you can learn in this creative, interesting way. And it's not an either or. It really isn't. I don't. I don't see why there is this thing of um, it's either attainment or an interesting learning environment. I think that if the learning environment is interesting and stimulating and rich, the attainment will be high. And I, I really wholeheartedly, from my toes upwards, believe that and know that to be true. And I remember on a um, on one of um it was actually a networking course where teachers came back together to talk about um being on the program and they one teacher said normally um we set our success criteria and when we've got there we stop and and then she said um the interesting thing about these um lessons or when we're doing this is that um we we can actually have gone way beyond our success criteria without even knowing it so it's that thing how do you know what you can do unless you explore and unless you try it 
Yeah, absolutely. And I can't help think um, of, you know, my, my oldest niece when she went to secondary school, um, you know, you get almost that day one of secondary school got given a predicted grades based on your mm. like primary school experience. And you can't, I kind of looked at it and I was like, wow, either that puts pressure on that young person that they're a straight A student and anything less than that is not good enough. But what if you're a student that is predicted really rubbish grades? Mm. Or does that define and limit your own self-belief almost because you're being somebody's imposing you on you know something on so we kind of it's the same sort of thing you know are we mm. yeah I agree you know are we limit by putting that kind of defined endpoint mm. we might be limiting the possibilities of what could be yeah. um and yeah I think that's quite an interesting it, it feels quite brave sometimes because oh god what if what if you know not not having an attainment target or not having an end goal sometimes does feel a bit unmotivating or scary mm-hmm. but equally if you can reframe it and just say well, what are you really passionate about what are you interested in what do you want to learn you know what do you want to follow then you kind of pick that up and yeah suddenly you're on this massive path to yeah somewhere really exciting that you didn't really but know about I agree and actually I do I I I always kind of have to check myself sometimes because I think you know, it, it, children's education is not a matter to be taken lightly. It's so important, and you can't um, you can't take it lightly. It's it's absolutely um, you know of the utmost seriousness, and yet um, that doesn't mean that there has to be no joy in it and no um, no potential for individuality as well. And I also. I know from my own experience of seeing my own children, my oldest is quite dyslexic and fascinated with history. Um, and yet his his secondary school, especially their, their, their um, well, not always he did have a good history teacher, but the, the, the curriculum was so narrow that actually he was very much just being taught one particular history that whereas his historical knowledge is incredible and far, far better than mine. Um, I have no idea where he gets his amazing interest or thirst for knowledge from, but I don't think that ever came out in school, really. I think it it never got to be expressed or explored in that context. It is. It's it's something about, and it's kind of almost that you want to find that um, intersection of interest, excitement, passion and like exploration and curiosity and if you can get all of those things because often you know the questions asked in sort of circles that I sort of talk in and oh yeah we just need to develop curiosity okay well how what are the things that we need so almost curiosity is an output so it's the ah there's a book finding flow but it is it's the idea of you know curiosity is something that what do you need in place to be able to be curious um rather than just going just be a bit more curious yeah but how and I, the reason I've shown you a book, Finding Flow, is um, by, I can't possibly say his name, it's Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Um, but he's an absolutely brilliant writer, um, researcher, and has done a lot of work looking at um, creativity, actually, um, as a whole. But he talks about, um, uh, uh, he has a very interesting diagram where he, he's looking at the level of challenge and the level of skill and um, how if challenge is is too high but the skill level is too low we we feel anxiety 
Um, whereas if the skill level is is um, sort of medium, but the challenge is low, then we're bored. And he talks about this sort of the perfect state really, where um, the challenge is high and the skill level is high, um, but but the interest is there, that the passion, the interest, um, the engagement, everything is there. And it can be challenging as well, but um, but we feel, you know, we feel engaged as individuals and therefore we're in a good state of flow and state of engagement and um, we're in the zone, as it were. And there's something about connection as well. That feels like it, com- it comes across in terms of, and un- un- on lots of levels in terms of, you know, whether it's a young person or an adult or one of, you know, us in a learning situation, you need to be connected with the person that's helping you or helping you explore. Um, so there needs to be a positive, I think, I feel like if there's a positive connection there, then you're more likely to want to learn. You need to be connected with the subject um, because if you're not, then like, you, you know, you're not interested. Um, but also there's a connect, I don't know, the connection with that environment around you and the place that you're in, because if that's not conducive to, like you don't, maybe even as basic as actually I don't feel safe and I'm you know actually this isn't a great so are you actually going to be able to be at your best to learn if you're not feeling safe for example um so yeah I think there's something really interesting in that yeah absolutely I agree and um you know it's thinking about talking today one of the things I really wanted to mention to you was connection and how that's one of the things I feel is of fundamental importance as human beings is connection but connection in terms of everything you've spoken about just then but also connection in terms of um connecting with ourselves and connecting with other people but also connecting with the um you know with the environment around us and the natural world as well i think is is hugely important Definitely. And it's interesting that connecting with self, I think, is something that um, certainly in my like research and work around leadership and, you know, we need to you know, we need to start by understanding what matters to us and what makes us tick and what's important to us. Because if we don't re- if we aren't really sure about those things, then other things become a bit blurry or, you know, what do you stand for? If you don't know what you stand for and what matters, then actually, how do you then go into the world to, to make those things and, and influence and shift and make choices about what you're going to say yes to or you're going to say no to or what's acceptable or what's not acceptable and all those sorts of things so I think that awareness of self and connecting with self and often being comfortable going yeah that's who I am and I yeah again this this may this could spark into a whole other tangent conversation but that idea of if we could support young people to better connect with themselves earlier and really understand their identity would that set them up would that set, set them up more confidently or more securely for their own self for later life? I don't know. It's a kind of question, a hanging question that's in my head. And I think creativity and, and the way you sort of teach and learn in a more creative sort of manner um, helps people connect with themselves and and connect with what's around them, but, um, you know, and connect with each other. But it's... It, it gives a space and it gives an opportunity to provide their own responses and their own thoughts. And um, yeah, I think, I also think on a sort of almost separate level, but they are deeply connected, but um, it's one of the greatest things that actually art, music, theatre, film, 
all these different genres do is that they they provide uh, almost a channel for us to connect to ourselves and connect with others. And that's one of the most, sort of, I think, profound and incredible things about um, yeah, art and music and mm. theatre is its Absolutely. capacity to, to, to speak to us at a, um, on a profound level. And there's something, yeah, definitely something about sparking emotion as well. Yeah. And, you know, and that being okay, mm. because you watch a film and it makes you cry, or you listen to a piece of music and it reminds you of the moment you first heard that or uh, something significant and it's connected, it all ties up, but it's our own story. So the piece of music or the film that might emotionally connect with me will be very different to the piece of music or film that will connect with you. Mm. Definitely. And, the, and those people, those artists, musicians, um, whoever, they've been willing to go on that journey themselves to produce that piece or whatever it is. They've been willing to, to um, almost be vulnerable or to be curious or to be um, brave, really, and to, to, to explore something that resonates with themselves and speaks from themselves that will then you know ring true for others absolutely absolutely well i could quite happily carry this conversation on for another hour or so um but for the sake of the podcast um kind of bring it back around and it feels quite it feels like the questions and answers um thing you know theme has been quite um core to this conversation in terms of being curious and those sorts of things so as i usually do i'll kind of offer you the opportunity to maybe you know offer some a concluding reflection or you know something that you'd like to leave us with uh, as we close it's it that's a good question in itself (laughs) (laughs) and it might maybe it'll be totally different to when we started this podcast but who cares because it's about reflecting and (laughs) and even if it's reinforcing something that you know something that's yeah something that feels important right you know given the conversation we've had maybe a reflection from you I think, I mean, one of them is is actually just language and talk and dialogue. And that um, I, I just think it is this incredible thing that, you know, it's very human. Um, but the democracy of language, I feel, is so important that it can open up a conversation or close down a conversation. Um, but essentially, it's about respect and valuing each other and being interested in each other. And that also leads me on to curiosity and that um, I just believe we live in this fascinating and incredible world populated by all sorts of very interesting people and beautiful, you know, it is a, it's an amazing place to be and that children um, come into this world as small, curious, interested people and um, that we need to nurture and love that and cherish it and cherish that in them but also um the the huge importance of connection as we've mentioned connection to ourselves to others and um to our natural world that it heals us and gives us purpose and gives us joy absolutely and on 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 that note i i'll finish by saying i can't wait to be able to travel to wales and actually connect in person and go visit some of those beautiful beaches um and just sit and connect with each other and nature. Yeah. So yeah, thank you very much for joining me and have a good rest of day.
thank you, Jane. Thank you. That's been a pleasure. And I can't wait to show you the, the beaches too and have a proper conversation. Amazing. You have been listening to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. My thanks again to my guest, Sophie Hadaway, and also to you for listening. Until the next time, take care.